it is time for our question and answers. So if everyone is done their lunch, um, we can start with that. Uh, just a reminder that our upcoming sessions are listed on SACPA's website at uh, sacpa.ca. And all these sessions can be heard in audio and as a podcast from that website. There's also, oh, I don't think there's a suggestion box anymore, but yeah, there you, is, is there? Okay, if you have any suggestions for upcoming topics, we oh. would be more than happy to have them. And if you will help me join or welcome George back up to the podium, we will get started on questions and answers. And just remember, state your name, state your name, and keep your questions to the point. Thank you. Hope everybody's fed up. That was good. Uh, anybody has any questions, I'd be more than happy to answer them. Or if I don't know, I'll make something up. They're coming from here. Okay. Once we're on, am I on? Yeah, you're on. <clears throat> this thing flop, 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 done. Okay. My name is Henning Mundell, and uh, thank you for your talk. Two th questions just presented themselves to me, so I just have to ask. Who are these people in the street that come up with all these good solutions? What are those solutions? And um, what do the other provinces do? Do we all have these kinds of problems across Canada? Okay. <clears throat> good questions. Uh, people on the street that come up with solutions, right? we're seeing more and more street medics stepping up. Um, even though there's whistleblower legislation and stuff like that, there's an inherent risk with speaking up. Uh, there's consequences, and, but more and more are frustrated to a point where they're they're coming forward. We have a number of anonymous ones that talk to the media and, and post these code red things and stuff, but uh, basically they're, they're frontline medics that are raising the biggest concerns in the flag. Do we have problems in the, across Canada? Yes. Ontario has very similar problems, a little different in some ways. It's a little bit different uh, operation. Uh, Saskatchewan, not so much, but it, there are uh, similar situations across Canada. Um, but, there's, but there's also similar solutions across Canada. And, and again, um, how do you get somebody to, to actually do something? That's the thing that's just boggled my mind right from the get-go. Thank you. Ever done is from the liberal side of the house. <laughs> How much does the shortage of hospital beds in the emergency department have to do with the waiting list for an ambulance? And does the new gov—I mean, the change in government—has made any difference in Alberta? That uh, keeps coming up as uh, previous government's uh, mismanagement, shortfall in uh, planning and in having adequate long-term care facilities and stuff. And that does, there is a component to that. Um, but in my opinion, that's mostly excuse. Um, is there, are there patients sitting in hospitals waiting for long-term facilities? Absolutely, there are. But 
there's ways of managing that sort of thing as well. Um, I was talking to somebody here, and if I don't lose this train of thought, I'll, uh, I'll get back to that. Uh, the other part, has there been any improvement under this current government? No, not in these problems, not in these issues. There's been a few peripheral things that have changed. Um, I don't know why people don't look at new ways, different ways, think outside the box of doing things. Uh, we were having a little discussion at our table here. There's, it, it's a different system in the states. A lot of private hospitals, uh, private services and stuff. And uh, I know of a number of them down there that they, your ambulance shows up at an emergency department, that hospital has 15, 20 minutes whatever that number is, to get that patient off your stretcher and free up that ambulance. Once that 15, 20 minute has passed, the clock's ticking and it's costing you a lot of money having that ambulance sitting in your hospital. They don't have these kind of problems. They're in and out of there in a heartbeat. And uh, there's, uh, Israel, for instance, is a good example. They don't have emergency departments as we know them. They have a resuscitation area but you bring a patient in with a compound femur fracture from a motorcycle accident, they don't go to emergency, they go right to orthopedics. Somebody, you bring somebody in with chest pain, that's a heart-related chest pain, they don't go to emerge, they go right to cardiac floor. They go right to wherever the experts are and they're dealt with. Uh, there's, there's all sorts of different ways of doing things if you're willing to do something different. Thank you, George, for your talk uh, and for your dedication and passion. I'm Mary Shellington. Uh, it sounds like you have kind of been working in a vacuum that it's you that's been doing all this lobbying. Is there a group that are backing you and, and consequently also having more influence as well and more voices and more pressure? Um, if there was, I probably wouldn't still be here. <laughs> I need the mafia or something I don't know uh, it's it's been mostly me and it's been pretty lonely for the most part but in the last year almost a year um, there's been more that are willing to stand up and and uh, have their name used and their picture and uh, I, I generally took this on because um, I'm, I'm not easily intimidated um, I know pretty well all these guys in, in management. Um, there's nothing they can do to hurt me, even when I was working there. Uh, they don't intimidate me. And so I, I felt it somewhat my duty to take this on on behalf of the EMS staff that are new in their career, that don't want to be labeled as a troublemaker, that are afraid. Uh, all these different reasons, and I totally understand that. And uh, so I, I was willing to crusade on their behalf, and and I'm still here. But yeah, there are more that are frustrated to the point that uh, that they're willing to take that risk, and it, and it is a risk. Hi, I think we've met a few times in the emergency department. I'm Ian Hurdle. Uh, I think you need to bring it down to some dollars, and that's the only way sometimes people can really look at it. I know about five 
Pardon? I did. Can you say it again? <laughs> okay. I know the uh, cost for a 150-mile trip with two paramedics or EMS on board an ambulance, an immediate drop-off five years ago was about $2,800. I don't know what it is now. So what does it cost to have people sitting in foothills for a 12-hour shift? And never mind the ambulance not being available, there's just a cost there. And how will anybody look at that and not do something? That's what throws me. And from a receiver of the care, it's criminal. Those people aren't available. So do you know what the cost of that is of an idle ambulance sitting at foothills for 12 hours, a full shift? I don't know. I can't give you the exact number, but Dr. Uh, you ask about if I have some backup. Well, I've Pat Steer has been really good, MLA for uh, up around Nanton area and stuff, uh, Dr. David Swan. Um, I'm not particular to any, or aligned with any particular political party. I'll, I'll, use, <laughs> I'll use anybody that's willing to, uh, to stand up for the cause. And, and they've both been, been good with that. Uh, Dr. Swan has brought up that exact same that exact statement. What is the cost of these guys sitting in emergency departments? For I mean, we're paying them, we're paying them uh, well for hours on end to basically do nothing, and uh, and and it's not all non-emergent patients. There's patients that have sat there for a lot of hours in hospital hallways that need constant care that need uh, to be looked after. And it's, it's humiliating for a lot of patients. Uh, somebody that's got a, uh, an injury that they're, they're absolutely stuck on that stretcher, they need to go to the bathroom. There's no bathroom around here. They're using bedpans with patients in front and behind them and across the hall beside them. Um, it's, it's almost third world care sometimes. And it's, it's not good patient care. It's not, uh, there's debate on, you know, patient outcomes. You know, they've been sitting in the hallway for 12 hours and, you know, what's their outcome? There's, and there's another study that somebody's doing. Common sense will tell you that that's not a good idea, that uh, we need to do something different, but uh, we have to study it. They did another study on, okay, we're gonna set up a room at the hospital with a couple of nurses and a couple of paramedics and we got six or eight beds, and we'll, we'll do this pilot thing and see how this works, if this helps well. I said, you have to pilot that? I'll tell you right now what's gonna happen. You're gonna fill up those, those eight beds about that quick, and you still got ambulances in your hallway. That's, that's not gonna, that's not a fix. That's, we get a lot of these Band-Aid solutions, but nobody's willing to stand up and change the system. Uh, <clears throat> thank you so much for your talk today. Uh, my name's Kathleen Clements, and my husband has multiple health problems, so we've been very grateful over the years for the EMS service that we've had because they've been very good and, and f reasonably prompt. But we're lucky you're telling us here and around Lethbridge area we're lucky. Um, is, it sounds like it's a procedural thing, some of it. Could, 
Could there not be a way of the dispatcher asking certain questions and the EMS staff doing an assessment and some people being taken in this area to Coaldale or to Raymond? Those, EMS, those emergency rooms are practically empty a good bit of the time. Is there something that says you have to go to the larger center if, if, if it's been ascertained that it's not a heart attack or something that requires Chinook? Uh, good question and good solution. We floated that, that uh, why are we taking all these patients to the, to the hospital? We have, in, in particularly in larger cities as well, you have urgent care clinics, you have walk-in clinics, you have doctor's offices that'll take, an, you know, some of them that'll take an urgent uh, walk-in and things like that. Um, right, well, there's, there's a little bit of leeway on that now that's changed in the last year or two. Um, can we take them to different hospitals? Absolutely. Uh, the patient does have uh, some ability to uh, go to the hospital that they request. If that's where their doctor practices, that's where their records are, that's where they've, they've been before, and particularly something in your case where they've, uh, they know uh, your, your husband there, that would be the, the obvious place. Somebody that's not urgent, um, yeah, absolutely. There should be some flexibility to take them someplace else. A lot of it is, is patient-driven, though. They want to go to the nearest place closest to home. It's easier for family and that sort of thing. Um, but there are, there are options out there. And we get that a lot, you know, when, there's, when this hits the media about EMS and, and a typical response is, you know, we, we love our medics. They're doing a, they do a wonderful job. You know, they're doing great. They're just, they're the best and yada, yada. That's not the question. That's not the issue. We know these guys are doing the best they can under the circumstances. What are you doing to make their job easier, to make them able, capable of doing their job better and making the system more efficient. I don't want to hear how much you love, love the medics. I want to hear, I want to see it. And, I, and that's where I am with Alberta Health. I don't believe anything, anything that I'm told unless I see it hap actually happening. And so far, I haven't seen anything happening. Hi, I'm Bev from Mindle Atherstone. Thank you very much for your talk. <clears throat> I ran twice for uh, Little Bow, a rural community. <laughs> And uh, in 2011 and 2015, and uh, young women who had just given birth in the Picture Butte area <clears throat> talked to me and said that the ambulance service out there was, um, was difficult because the, under the previous government, women who, who uh, gave birth were kicked out of hospital within a day. And then if there were any complications, then the ambulances would have to bring them into town. So, um, so it seemed that the problem was a problem going back to kicking the women out too soon after delivery. And if there were problems with the baby or the mom, they had to go back. So that clogged up the ambulance service. So it seems to me that there, there are some issues that are not just procedural, but it's determined by our particular government's uh, view of uh, healthcare. My question actually relates to, you're talking about the EMS coming in the ambulance with the sick person, delivering them to the hospital. Now, here's my question. 
when when the ambulance driver, the EMS person, comes into the hospital with the individual in a stretcher, as soon as they enter the hospital, whose jurisdiction are they on? Is it not the responsibility of the hospital to take care of that person from the time they get through those doors? Why does the EMS individual have to stay with that person? Uh, are you telling me that, uh, or are you intimating that the EMS is responsible until that person is so-called admitted or something? I'm, I just can't see where that point is where the hospital takes over the care of the person. Could you explain that, please? That's, that's my stand exactly. My stand exactly. That is not, that's a hospital patient. And I don't, I believe it's, it's province-wide. I've responded to uh, an old fellow that fell off uh, a walker wheelchair right outside the hospital emergency department. And it's all glass. You can see the side, a little bit of grass, the sidewalk, this guy laying in the curb, split his head open, uh, he's bleeding all over the place, he's uh, give himself a pretty good bonk on the head. And we showed up with the ambulance, luckily we were, happened to be in town, uh, we were about a block away on the hospital property, and as I pulled up there's four or five nurses standing at the window looking at this guy bleeding on the road. They're not allowed to step outside that hospital door to treat a patient. They can't touch him until we bring him in because of liability issues. And again, common sense is out the window. Uh, had I been one of those nurses, I'd have probably been disciplined or fired because I'd have been out there looking out there. What happened to patient care? What happened to, to doing the right thing for the patient, to looking after the patient? And, uh, but yeah, and the flip side of that is it's not our patient until he's in the hospital. Well, honey, I'm in the hospital with this guy. I'm your patient on my stretcher. But what do you do about it if the hospital's not willing to cooperate? Do we take these guys and prop them in a corner and take our stretcher and leave? Now, we're the bad guys then. We're the uncaring, cold-hearted, hard-hearted medics that just left this poor, innocent patient in the hallway all by himself. It's not a hospital thing. At what point is the hospital? In my opinion, when, when they cross the door, we bring a patient in. The first thing we do is we go to triage. There's a nurse at triage. We give them report. We give them the information on the patient, why he's there, condition, blah, blah, blah. And they say, okay, well, we don't have a bed right now, so just park him in the hallway. We've given report. They know he's there. They know who he is. We've admitted that we've uh, done a chart on him. They have all the information. He's their patient, in my humble opinion. Yet, we're not allowed, because we don't have anybody in EMS that'll stand up and say, you've got till the 30th of this month to get your act together, because as of that date, eight o'clock in the morning, we are no longer going to be sitting in your hospital hallway with patients. We don't have the resources. We're not good at it. It's not our job. We can't do our job when we're doing a job in the hospital, and until somebody stands up and does that, why would the hospital change anything? And that's why it's still the, the same way it is, because nobody's got the backbone to stand up and, and do what's right for patient care and show some leadership. 
Uh, Trevor Page, thank you for your presentation and the straightforward and alarming way in which you presented it. You've been doing it for a long time, and thank you for that. But you've mentioned that you've presented the problem to three successive governments, to health ministers. Have you done that personally, or is it by letter? And if so, what has been the response? That's at the ministerial level. Have you also presented the problem to the Lethbridge MLAs, East and West? And if so, what has been their response? We're a pretty active community here in Lethbridge. We have been able to stop big oil from drilling within our city limits. What you've presented is even more alarming. So you obviously need help. Can we help you? Thank you. I'll try and answer all those. Um, I have yet to sit down across the table from any health minister. I've come that close two or three times, uh, but haven't actually got there yet. Have I sent them a lot of letters and information? Yes, I have. Uh, in fact, I had a fellow phone me, well, more than one, people from the inner circle of the government saying, Porter, you have no idea how much they hate you up here. And I, and I, and I, I, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Um, I said, I'm easy to get rid of. Just do the right thing and I'm out of here. I don't take a lot of joy in this. And I, and I don't mean to be alarming, but I do mean to be honest. And, and the way the government portrays what's going on with EMS is smoke and mirrors and it's not true. It's not a direct lie but they're not going to, you know, you get the closest ambulance. Oh, wonderful. But they won't tell you where it's coming from or how long you're going to have to wait. And um, we do, well, basically in a nutshell, the best response and the latest response I've got from the health minister after sending her a bunch of uh, what most people would think are alarming things. Um, uh, she says, well, thank you for your letter and your concern. Uh, we encourage you to continue voicing your concerns with your management team. I've been doing that for years. Uh, not, I haven't, um, I did speak at a Mayors and Reeves thing or an AUMDNC thing or something here in Lethbridge one time and uh, John Barlow was there and somebody else and they had me speak right after somebody spoke on EMS from the government, which I was more than happy to do. And, uh, but I haven't spoken to them directly. I have, uh, I would love to sit down with Sarah Hoffman. In fact, I sent her a letter um, just after she was appointed, congratulating her for their uh, party's election win and for her appointment. And I uh, said, I will give you some time to get your feet under you and I will hear some factual information that I said, I will make you look good, I'll make your party look good, I'll save you a bunch of money, and I'll walk away. And that's when I got, well, we encourage you to continue voicing your... Uh, yeah. Hi, my name is Peter Beale. Uh, I'm just wondering if you have any ideas, like we're still, even in Lethbridge, partly rural considered, right? When I had my heart attack, the thing is they decide I need open heart surgery. So 
that was the, what happened there is all of a sudden I'm like sent by ambulance to Calgary. And when I was finished, you know, for finished recovery back to Lethbridge. So basically both those times that ambulance was out of service for four hours. So I wonder if there's any kind of solution available for something like that. Well, your, your first trip was, was proper use of an ambulance. Uh, second one, I don't know, depending on how, yeah, but uh, there's, there's urgent inter-facility transfers. Those are like emergency calls. You got somebody that needs to get from this hospital into advanced care someplace, absolutely it's appropriate. Uh, I'm just, the inter-facility transfers I'm talking about are ones that just need a ride someplace. And uh, I mean, you know, if, if you don't have an ambulance available in your community because you're getting just slammed with emergency calls, you've got car accidents everywhere and you know, who knows what going on, and an ambulance is delayed responding to your emergency, you might not like it, but you can understand it and you can accept it. But when the ambulance is delayed 45 minutes coming to your emergency because they're being taxis and they're being sent out of the community and they're doing calls in Calgary, that's a little harder to swallow. And before AHS took over, most of these, particularly rural communities, had a crew on call or on, on duty but they had a second ambulance and they had a crew on call on radios and they're at work or whatever. When AHS took over, virtually all of that second line stuff disappeared. At the same time, overnight, inter-facility transfers went up 30%. Because before that, a hospital was responsible out of their, their pocket, their bucket of money, their budget for transfers. When AHS took over, it became a global budget thing, and it wasn't billed to the individual hospitals. Sweet, it's not cost me anything to send this guy by ambulance. So they all, 30% increase overnight with probably 40% fewer ambulances. Not hard to figure out what happened. Uh, Maureen Hawkins, um, something that wasn't quite clear, you, I, I agree with you when it should be the hospital's responsibility, but when actually is it the hospital's responsibility under the present situation? The hospital's responsibility. Yeah, you bring a patient to hospital. Uh -huh. when, does it, when does the patient become their responsibility and you can leave? That's, that's the gray area that nobody wants to talk about. You know, the hospital will say, well, that's an EMS patient. He's still on their stretcher. And the EMS says, we're in your hospital. We've given you a report. You know he's here. We need to get out of here and go do our job. So, and do that's, they, so there are no policies whatsoever? And that's where it sits. Okay. And that's where it sits. Um, and second question, no, just have you actually gone to see MLAs? I can go see my MLA easily in her constituency office. Why are you sending stuff instead of walking in? Yeah, I've, I've talked to a number of MLAs. I encourage people to talk to their MLAs. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's, it's difficult. Um, I thought for a while about even launching a class action lawsuit with people that had waited extraordinary lengths of time and had bad outcomes waiting for an ambulance. But it doesn't sit right with me morally, uh, uh, using 
you know, people need to grieve, and it's, uh, um, it, it doesn't seem the right thing to do, though it's... Okay, can we do the next question? It's a possibility. But it, that, that's a gray area. That just, nobody is willing to do that, and the health minister is not willing to step in and say, that's a hospital patient, because that's going to create problems here. Can we get to the next question? Thank you. My name is Larry Alford. I really appreciate your dedication and your uh, passion for this. It, it, my question is, is the system, I, I think the healthcare system is the largest budget item in Alberta. Is the system itself out of control and sort of serving itself as opposed to serving the public? Or are politicians just completely out of their depth? And I'm not labeling any party in particular. Politicians just have no control on this team of runaway horses, budget-wise speaking. Any comments there? Yeah, my opinion, it's it is out of control. It's it is the largest. It's it's horrendous the amount of money we spent on healthcare. Um, and again, nobody's showing leadership, stepping up, and saying this has to change. You know, it. I, I guess it's typical of politicians and government that whoever yells the loudest and creates the most havoc is the one that gets paid attention to and and common sense isn't uh, necessarily part of the equation it's uh, um, somebody needs to make some hard decisions and uh, to make it fair for it because this it's not sustainable okay this will be on our last question name is Doug Neal and I'm kind of wondering if you know if the minister ever sees your letter I've been involved in government in Manitoba, and uh, <clears throat> people write to the minister, and the bureaucrat gets a letter, and they answer the letter, and they put it on the minister's desk, and the minister signs it, turns it over, the next one, and the next one. So I'm wondering if the minister ever gets to see these letters. I've wondered that myself. Um, I've had phone calls from higher ups there that they've obviously read most of what I've ever sent in, so I'm, as, I'm assuming that they do. We did a, a little video thing on Bill 6. We did a parody and filmed that. That uh, The Premier saw that, actually, thought got a bit of a kick out. We filmed it up at Nanton, and, uh, and uh, I'm a movie star, by the way. and. Uh, <laughs> And uh, we asked if we could get her endorsement on that, and uh, that didn't go over well. Um, Do they see it? I don't. I don't know. Is the health minister aware of this groundswell? Yeah, yeah, she is. And uh, I know enough people in government up there and, and whatnot that I know that she's appraised of it and, and aware. Um, what to, I don't know. I don't know what it would take. You know. Uh, Maybe Sarah Hoffman needs to wait 45 minutes for an ambulance to show up while she's in pain, and yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I, I used to think that that would work, um, but I, I, don't, I don't know if that would even change anything anymore. It's just a, it's a very frustrating thing, but it's very real, and it's, uh, it's wrong what's going on, and uh, the minute we can find some real true leaders there, then maybe things will change, but I am, and talking to your MLAs, absolutely, any, any voice that can be raised and concerns that eventually it gets enough that makes that wheel turn a little bit.
Thank you for your interest. Thank you for your time. It's been a pleasure.